We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We talk with NBA college scout Jarrett Sutton next on his expectations for the K-State basketball team and their latest edition. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Welcome to another Three Mall Pod. I'm Cole Manbeck, joined as always by Derek Young of KStateOnline.com. And look, we know football season is right around the corner and many of you it's probably game week when you're actually listening to this episode but we're actually here to talk k-state basketball with you it's uh it's a rare time in the last three years that we've been eager to still t- be talking k-state basketball just a week before football season ticks off for kansas state but we sit here today and uh, that's the excitement that jerome tang and his staff have brought to the forefront for kansas state fans is that we're energized kansas state fans are energized to continue to talk hoops so Look, we're doing another basketball pod, and we're thrilled to be joined by Jarrett Sutton, who is a college scout for the New Orleans Pelicans in the NBA. He goes around games throughout the country, scouts college players, uh, and we wanted to bring his perspective. You probably heard Jarrett on 810 with Nate Bucati, Stephen St. John, throughout college basketball season. He's a frequent guest on their show and love his perspective, uh, former Missouri players. Well, we'll get into that, dive into some fun about Kansas State and Missouri from when Jarrett was at playing for the Tigers over in Columbia. But first, Jared, I, just a level set for our, our listeners that haven't heard you before. Do you maybe want to expand upon your role with the Pelicans, what it entails, what you do as a, a college scout? Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's great to be with you, um, especially I know football's getting ramped up here, but uh, so much to talk about uh, in the basketball circles here in the Midwest, and um, especially with Coach Tang, who uh, is such a great coach. So I'm, I'm happy to be with you today. In terms of my role, I mean, this is I'm going to start my fourth year with the Pelicans. I've been a college scout for five years in the NBA total. I started uh, with Trajan Langdon in Brooklyn. Uh, He was the assistant GM of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Kept me here in Kansas City as a I was a consultant for the Nets at that time. Um, And then he got the general manager position with the Pelicans. And um, he asked me to come with him and kind of the rest is history. So um, that's kind of been my, my role, being able to stay based in Kansas City, um, I cover Big 12, Big 10, and then oversee the SEC and the ACC as well. I don't get West a lot. Um, outside of conference tournaments, I'll go West to get the Pac-12 um, and a lot of the Mountain West and, and those conferences um, that I don't really get to see throughout the college basketball season. So 
Um, you know, I, I feel like my role is, is very much, it's college based, obviously. Uh, I don't do a lot on the, the pro side, but um, just to get a perspective of the, the talent level that's in college um, within the leagues and then everything that has changed since I played really. You know, in 2012, I was playing in the Big 12, and now with conference realignment still being talked about, uh, it's great being in Kansas City because you can get to different games in different leagues. Uh, with Creighton, who's got a couple really good players that are coming back, and you know, you got Nebraska in the Big Ten, so you can get to some Big Ten games if you need to drive up there. So um, it's nice being in Kansas City. It's a good market for a scout uh, to get to see the, a lot of games, a lot of talent. Um, the travel schedule is no joke, uh, for sure, but um, I love it. Uh, and it's great to see college college games, college players, but also the coaching part of this. Um, having the relationships with coaches is a big part of the job. Um, and I've known Coach Tang for quite a while and was so excited that he got a chance to be a head coach because it's, it's long overdue. And just so happens to be in Manhattan with Kansas State. And um, as I said, when they made the hire, it's a great get for Kansas State, uh, especially with where we are. Uh, in an NIL world, modern day basketball, um, the growth of the game, everything that college basketball entails now with the transfer portal, all those things. Uh, and you're seeing what Coach Tang has done in one summer. Uh, so I, I, I assume Kansas State fans, they should be very excited about this hire and what he's going to bring this program. And before we get too deep, Jarrett, we obviously we want to thank the support and sponsorship of Holiday Distillery 360 Vodka and you know, pivoting back to football real quick. I think some Kansas State fans might want to pick up some Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon or some 360 vodka for their tailgate here on Absolutely. September 3rd and the, uh, the season opener against South Dakota. And hey, maybe for some basketball games this year as well, you know. So uh, they, got, they got Mizzou in week two. I've, I've had that one circled. It's about, hey, it's, it's, it's long overdue, guys. <laughs> hey, yeah, it is. Are you making the trip to Manhattan for that one? Uh, I wish I was. I uh, I thought I might be able to, but I'm, I'm actually already had, had planned. I'm going to the Chiefs uh, opener out in out in uh, Scottsdale, out in Glendale, I, I oh. guess, out in Arizona. So uh, well, hey. I had to put put that one first before it. So um, yeah, I'm going to be bummed to miss though. I'll be watching though from Arizona. Well, that's not a bad alternative. Uh, that's right. So, that's right. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good option as well. Uh, you know, before I kick it over to D.Y. to, to ask you some questions as well, you, you mentioned Jerome Tang. You know, what are your impressions? What do you think he brings to the table at K-State and how successful he can be in Manhattan? Well, the, the thing that I think Coach Tang brings is, first off, he comes from a program under Scott Drew that rebuilt a program from literally nothing. <laughs> so it starts there. Uh, Coach Tang has his imprints all over that program at Baylor in terms of recruiting, which is obviously a big part of the job when you're an assistant. Uh, but also, if, if you just go back and watch Baylor games when Coach Tang was an assistant, he brings so much energy and enthusiasm to that bench. There's a lot of passion uh, that Coach Tang brings to the game, and he's been that way since he was a high school coach. Um, you know, the the staff there at Baylor I've been close with over the years. I've done a lot of work with. They've obviously had so many great players and so much talent come through Waco. But I think it speaks to the program they built in terms of the culture um, that's been sustained over the years. And, you know, you go back to a lot of the players that have, have been there. Pierre Jackson was there when, when I was there, Quincy Miller, Quincy AC, you know, all the way up through the Davion Mitchells and Jared Butlers. Um, a lot of that program is built off a, a love of the game, um, a willingness to work. Uh, they, they recruit specific guys for that program. And they also changed how they recruited um, probably five to six years ago where they were really kind of pivoting on what they're really going to target 
That's why they won a national championship. And Coach Tang is a big part of that. And I think he's bringing a winning mentality, a winning culture. But I think he's going to be able to hit the ground running, which he already has done, and putting this roster together. But this summer, and as you guys know in basketball, summer the summer period is so important in a season and in the fall. But the summer is really when you get a lot of work done. And it's so different now in terms of the rules of, you know, now there's a lot of times for coaches to get in with their players and they can start putting in installs early. We couldn't do that uh, when, when I was there in 08 and 12 at Mizzou. You only, you know, were with your strength coaches and you played pickup and that was it. You, you didn't have really any oversight uh, with your co- with your head coach and you weren't practicing at all. So I think that gives, you know, coaches like Coach Tang, a lot of these new coaches that, that are entering their, their, their first years with programs, it gives them a leg up to get started early, which is what you got to do. And I just think, you know, you look at what, you know, just Coach Tang's press conference. Let's just take that for an example. Like he won the press conference, hit it out of the park. I'm not surprised by that at all. That's just the type of enthusiasm and the energy and the confidence that that guy has. And it's going to rub off on his players. And that's what you want to see. Um, he'll identify talent. I'm not worried about that at all. But I just think what Kansas State fans can look forward to, uh, it's going to be a different level of energy that you're going to see on the floor. Uh, and he's going to demand that. And you're going to see guys that not only play hard, you're going to see guys that have talent and skill. Um, obviously, what he's identified in terms of length and size, uh, I think you have to identify that in basketball if you can. You, you want to have versatility, positional versatility. He's going to identify that. So there's areas of building the roster we can talk about. But I think what you're going to see on the floor is guys that not only play hard and compete, but are, are about all the right things that you can be proud of uh, when you walk into the Octagon of Doom next year and, and be really excited about the direction of your program. Yeah, thanks, Jarrett. Uh, I guess the central focus of, of what we brought you on was the addition of Keontae Johnson. Obviously, you're very familiar with him. I think he was kind of in NBA draft circles very early on before the, the medical emergency was, you know, kind of occurred. Is there, you know, any one or two traits that stand out about his game that kind of make him as special as he was before that injury? Yeah. So first off, I'm happy that he's back. Um, you know, this has been a long road for him. Um, and, you know, I, I can remember vividly, you know, where I was when um, he collapsed. I, I saw him a couple of weeks prior to that um, at a practice. So um, I'm just happy he's back. He's a great kid. Um, you know, I think what Coach Tank's trying to build, uh, Keontae is a perfect fit in terms of bringing an experienced player from a great league and a great program like Florida uh, to Kansas State. Um, you know, Keontae is a winner in every way. He's unselfish. He's a team oriented guy. So he's got all those intangibles that you really want to identify, especially when you're trying to build your roster year one and you can add a talent like Keontae. And, and look, there might be rust. I do think that, you know, he's been slowly getting himself back to where, you know, I don't know what his activity has been in terms of full contact, but I, I, I know that there's a deep love of the game. And I knew Keontae wanted to come back and play once he was, you know, cleared. I think that was sort of, his timeline, it took obviously a long time for him to get to, to where he wanted to be. But, you know, this is a player that, you know, when he was at Florida prior to, to the injury and prior to the situation that happened, I mean, you're talking about a guy that can rebound the ball. He's strong. He's physical. He's tough. He's efficient. Uh, he plays really well without the ball. Um, you can do a lot of things with him defensively as well. Um, he's an undersized, like, four-man, but he brings so much athleticism um, and he's just a very high IQ, smart player. I always look for traits in players. And I, I think sometimes you get consumed with guys that 
they have to have the ball in their hand all the time to be successful with Keonta. He doesn't need the ball to be successful and his impact on the game, you know, you can look up and not realize, Oh my gosh, keonte has got seven, eight rebounds. He's got a couple blocks. He's got a couple assists and he does it very quietly. Um, so he's a very productive player. He just understands the game. I think he'll be able to come in and, you know, the, the system that coach Tang puts in place, he'll figure it out uh, because he is a smart high IQ player. Um, but he's very unselfish. He's a team first guy. Um, so I, I think the skill set and the talent, you know, you're right. He was in NBA circles before this situation happened. There's no question. Uh, he was up there as one of the better players in the SEC and one of the better players in the country. We'll see how he looks. Um, I'm really excited to get to Manhattan and, and watch some practices and, and just kind of see where he's at. And, and knowing there's going to be some some you know ramp up period for him that he's going to have to go through. Uh, it's just part of it. He hasn't he hasn't played full contact, but I think he'll be ready. Uh, he'll have his body in shape. He takes tr- tremendous pride in that. Um, but what I loved about Keontae and just the conversations I had with the Florida staff last year is even though he wasn't playing and wasn't able to play the game he loved and, and be able to compete every day, he was engaged in practice every day. He had a coaching mentality like that, I think, is what uh, is going to be so impressive about him and so impactful about him coming to Kansas State is he's going to think like a coach on the floor because he's had that experience just watching practice. He was fully engaged uh, down in Gainesville, even when he wasn't able to play. Uh, and and they had so much respect for him, not just players, but coaches, too, uh, of what Keontae brought their program. That's what Kansas State is getting. You're getting a rock-solid leader. Uh, you're getting a guy that you want to have in your building, especially in year one when you're trying to you know, get up to, to speed in the Big 12, a league like the Big 12, and you're wanting to compete. Adding Keontae is such a big get for Coach Tank for many reasons, not just on the floor, but off the floor as well. I think, I think we had him kind of a bubble team, and I know a lot of it will be contingent on Keontae's health, but Cole and I both said you know, now it's probably an NCAA tournament team. I know the Big 12 is a behemoth, and but as far as what you have seen throughout the country in the league, do you think Kansas State is, even in year one under Jerome Tang, that competitive? You know, I it's it's tough to say because you know I, I get expectations um, and excitement are going to be there. It's year one. I do think what Coach Tang and his staff have done uh, in terms of the players they've added. I mean, that's a daunting task to add uh, and build out a roster like they built it out. I do like the pieces they've added. It makes a lot of sense in what they're identifying. Uh, whether it be JUCO transfers, whether it be freshmen they've brought in. I, I like some of their freshmen they've brought in. You add Keontae, uh, huge get. I mean, I think that immediately catapults this team to being a real threat in the Big 12. That I will say for sure. Uh, Big 12 is is no joke. I mean, it beats up on each other. Um, they're always going to be a, a conference that put, pumps out um, a lot of really good teams and a lot of really good programs that are going to be in that conversation March. I think Kansas State has every you know reason to think that they're one of those teams. There's no question about that. That should be the goal and the expectation and what an accomplishment that would be in year one to make the tournament. Um, and I think Coach Tang is, is not going to come in and, and, you know, try to, you know, temper or lower expectations. He's going to want to set the bar high. He wants to have that standard in place right away. Uh, and that's something that I think these players are really going to hone in on. And I, I know that that's already taking place right now in the summer period. Um, and I, I think just you look at Marquise Noel coming back, um, Musad coming back. You know, there are some guys that they're bringing back, too, from the old team. And, and Taj Manning, who was a Kansas City kid, they're able to keep him. You know, there, there's some pieces there that I really like. The question is, how does that gel? How does that chemistry work? 
you know, do they hit the ground running right away? You want to be playing your best basketball come league play when January hits. So there could be bumps in the road in non-conference play, but I want to see where this team is at, you know, that December holiday period going into, you know, when you get into the new year and you start flipping the script to the Big 12 conference, that's when we're really going to know a lot about this team and if they're going to be in that conversation come March. But I, I think from a roster standpoint, personnel standpoint, uh, they got some pieces there that they can make some noise and make a run, no question. Jarrett, when Jerome Tang was at Baylor, they obviously they played that zone for years, and then they transitioned to the man-to-man defense, and that seemed to really elevate, and they took off when they switched to that man-to-man, and they became one of the most premier defensive teams in college basketball after doing so. You look at the roster Jerome Tang's assembled in Manhattan now. They have they have nine guys that are six foot five or taller. You mentioned positionless basketball. They've got a lot of versatility. I mean, Keontae is a perfect example, right? He's a guy that you mentioned is a small four, but he can probably go out and play the three as well with his ability to shoot from the perimeter. He's a tremendous finisher around the rim. What, what If you were Jerome Tang, what type of system would you run in Manhattan based off what you know about him? Or what do you think he's going to run defensively, offensively? What are some of the trademarks of a Jerome Tang basketball team? Well, I think what you can expect is, um, you know, I, I know he'll take some of those principles from Baylor to to his program at K-State. I do think there'll be some changes he'll probably make, too. He, You know, it's his his ship now, and, and there's probably some things maybe he'll, he'll do a little differently. I think the biggest thing is playing with pace. Um, that, to me, is what he's going to really, I think, throw into his system and his structure right away. Um, I think when you look at, you know, past teams at K-State, I think other programs that made coaching changes, I think they understand, you know, where the game is and it's, it's a lot of shooting. You know, you have to have guys that can make shots. Uh, You have to have athleticism on the floor. You have to have size. Uh, But I think in today's college basketball, the pace of play, if you can play at different speeds, if you can play in an up-tempo style and slow it down and play in the half court and execute, um, there's, you know, the, it gives you a, a leg up in, in terms of playing against competition that might play different styles. Um, and you're able to match that defensively will be the question. Are they going to be a zone team? Um, you can probably have an impactful zone with the size and length and things Baylor did. But I think the, the biggest piece is, I think with coach Tang, I think he's going to want to get after you too. I think he's going to want, want to put pressure and show that he can play man to man. You know, coaches have a lot of pride and, when coaches look at zone defense, defense, it, it's got to be a, a structure in place that you know you can get the most out of it uh, in terms of your personnel. Um, you would much rather play man-to-man. Uh, I think there's a lot of trust there when you can play man-to-man defense and you have guys that really want to buy into locking down and guarding and take pride in that and have that tenacity and that toughness. Like Keontae Johnson is that. You know That's what you're bringing. He, he wants to guard and guys want to get after it. Um, so I, I could see him playing multiple styles of defense uh, with the zone in there, but I, I don't think he's going to be a strict zone defensive team. When I look at the offensive side of the ball, though, I think it's going to be more tempo based, more pushing the ball. Um, yes, making good decisions uh, and, you know, not playing fast doesn't mean, you know, you're you're you know turning the ball over or, or you're you're out of sorts or, you know, you're not playing within the structure of your offense. Playing with tempo is getting out and making things easier for yourself and trying to create early offense and not getting bogged down into just a half court offensive team. When you play man to man, it allows for live ball turnovers and you can start playing in transition. And that's something that Baylor did a lot of. And I think that's some of the changes they made in terms of what they wanted to identify. They identified really good defensive players that could not only take 
you know, the defensive side of the ball uh, seriously and play it with passion and play with hard nose, you know, gritty style defense, but it led to transition offense. They were, they had really good transition players that could play uh, in the open floor and create. And that's something that Kansas state has really lacked um, in years past. So that to me is, I, I think some of the changes that you can see right away in terms of style um, I think Coach Tang does have a good understanding, too, of every, that what every coach has to have is late game situations, you know, after timeouts, um, how you use your timeouts, how you use your rotations, who's closing games for you. Those things are being identified right now. Like that's what's going to be the most interesting interesting thing to look at once we get into the season. All that thing's getting ironed out. But that that's really where Coach Tang, I think, is going to make his impact because that's something that you know, that those Baylor teams and, and Coach Drew did such a great job of is understanding how to close games, how to win games, knowing their personnel, knowing how to put their guys in the right places at the right times. Um, and that, to me, is, is something you can really look forward to with Coach Tang. We, we're going to have a couple fun questions for you, Jared, here at the end. But first, I want to get your perspective on name, image, and likeness and how that's kind of changed the game. I mean, you played at Missouri 2008, 2012. Name, image, and likeness was not a thing back then. We've heard Jerome Tang talk about when selling NIL, he's fully supportive of his players earning money off their name, their brand, et cetera. But when he recruits kids, he wants to talk about the NBA because it's it's dollars to pennies is this exact quote that he said in his press conference, which I thought, as you mentioned, was a home run and a great answer that he wants his players to think bigger and be fully invested in the dream of the NBA because the money earned in the NBA, as you know, is, is significantly higher than an NIL deal that these kids are getting. How have you seen maybe NIL change the game and maybe kids' perspectives, um, you know, in the gym when it comes to that on the forefront? Because the NBA used to be the ultimate dream, and I feel like maybe there's some kids maybe being a little more short-sighted nowadays in their recruitment because they're just seeing the immediate, you know, dollars. And I get it. It'd be hard to, to turn down $500,000 or whatever's being offered in the immediate and maybe not making the best choice for their future. I'm just curious for your perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're in an NIL world. We knew it was coming. Um, you know, I, I'm first off, I'm, I'm happy that athletes have the ability um, to use their name, image, likeness and, and try to, you know, make financial dollars in college. Um, being a college athlete is a full time job. Um, I do think that it will lead to some decision making from athletes that, uh, I think we're already seeing right now of guys that have pulled out of their commitments and gone to other schools because of NIL. Um, I still think you have to make the best decision for yourself. And to what's your point about Coach Tang and what he said about the NBA, I think that is the right message. Uh, you have to be thinking bigger picture. Yeah, You can't just be going to a place and making a decision solely based off NIL. If that was the advice I would give, that would be it. Um, because there are programs you can go to and yeah, you can make a lot of money off NIL, but what does that mean for you? Um, what does that mean in terms of, you know, how you fit into a certain team, the chemistry with a coach? Um, you know, the transfer portal has been a hot topic as well of, of players leaving. Um, it feels like now, especially in conversations with coaches, I mean, they are still finalizing rosters in July and in August. And that was never the case, uh, you know, when, when I was in school. Um, it's just it's almost like you're you're in free agency. It's it's a little bit with with this NIL world. Um, I think it's good for coaches because they can rebuild a team quickly uh, and they can look at talent. But I also think you're in a situation where I always think players shouldn't run from their own problems. Right. There are reasons to leave a school. There are reasons to go to a school. 
Um, but if you're making short-sighted decisions and they're also just NIL based, um, I think that can lead to problems. Uh, I, I am, you know, I am happy that the NIL world now exists for athletes. And I think it's a good thing for college athletics. I think it keeps players in college instead of going to the G league ignite or overtime elite. And there's a lot of outside resources now um, where money's in play, where, where players are, are, you know, leaving college and going to, to other means to play and make money. This gives them an opportunity to stay in college, which I still think is such a important thing. College athletics and in terms of college basketball, it's so competitive and it does get, it does get you ready uh, for the next level for guys. Um, and I think the, you know, the passion of playing college basketball, the intensity of it, the fan bases, the venues you go play in that are historic venues, like those, those are some incredible, incredible memories that I have from playing. Um, and I, I, you just can't, you know, write those off. It, it just can't be a, a conversation around NIL in terms of you, you making your decision. And I would just add this caveat, like you're talking about a 17, 18, 19 year old kid that is making these decisions families are in in this conversation you know I, I think it gets lost sometimes that oh well a kid is making a decision on his nil future well it's also a family decision too uh, and does that steer a player uh, into the wrong direction we're seeing that as well so this is still early on in the process i'm really curious to see where we are in five ten years uh, what does that look like from a transfer portal conversation college basketball has changed tremendously in the last two years uh, since we got out of the pandemic and it's it's not going backwards it's going forwards and it's all about evolving with it um, I do think there's probably some things that we can fine-tune and change to make the NIL I think more competitive for all schools um, just so it's not just a financial dollar conversation but I think that's down the road as we continue to work through this um, but it, it is a hot topic and it's going to continue to be a hot topic for, for years to come one more on that topic chair when you're when you're scouting these players and when you're talking to coaches is it a red flag for you if you see a guy that's entered the portal two or three times throughout his career or if you hear that from a coach that nil was really the the forefront of the decision making process that money and nil was the first immediate thing not talking nba or big picture what are your thoughts on that is that a red flag i think you look at every player's situation um with an open mind uh, whether that be positive or negative. Um, I think it's something we are, uh, if you would ask me two years ago, if a player's transferred three, four times, there's a lot of additional questions that come from that. And there are some probably red flags that pop up. Um, now that doesn't mean that, you know, you're writing off the player. It doesn't mean you're writing off the coaches that coach that player. You just have to do your homework more um, because clearly there are reasons uh, that you need to find out why that player has been transferring. Um, and in most cases, you know, when you peel back the onion, sometimes it's the coaching part of it. Sometimes it's the player part of it. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's a, a situation where everybody's different. There's there's times when players, um, like I said, run from their own problems, but they also hear a lot of things that um, there's voices in their ear that um, are not good for them, quite frankly. Uh, but in terms of like the NIL conversation, we hear that stuff all the time. We know it's a part of it. Um, but when you really dive into the player and the person and you start to really do your homework and background on players, you uncover a lot of things, um, that sometimes tie into NIL. And sometimes it's where these players come from, where they have to take NIL. They don't have anything else to fall back on. And those are, I mean, you, you respect and appreciate sometimes these stories of things that 
are not out in the media, that are not out publicly of why a player decides to do what he does because they have to. They have to do it for their for their families and and for their you know where where they came from. So every situation's different. Uh, positive. You you always have an open mind with every player. Uh, but now your homework and your background and the information that you have to gather, it's more intertwined in terms of the details. And that's where the coaching relationships and relationships you know that you you have um, in your back pocket with a lot of these programs. You, you have to do your background and your due diligence on every player to really uncover the person they are um, when, when you're trying to identify a talent. Just one more for me. Uh, Dean Wade, I think he just got his, you know, real NBA contract. Did you foresee yeah. him having this kind of professional career? And is he tracking to be like a 10 plus year guy at this point? I love the story of Dean Wade. I'm so glad you brought him up. Um, you know, he's a guy that, even going back to his his days at K-State, he's such a talented player. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, most multifaceted skill set, um, tough. Uh, you know, he I know he had some some injury bugs at, at K-State that always kind of lingered. Um, but he was a really, really good player uh, in terms of, you know, had an IQ, uh, had a skill set, found a niche in terms of where he was um, selected and where he went. Um, and he's just made the most of it. He keeps getting better and better. Uh, his work ethic is second to none. It always has been that. Um, and the background, you know, if you go back to Dean Wade at, at K-State, you know, he was a guy that was loved by teammates, loved by coaches. Um, you know, he was a winner in every way. And, you know, he he just, when you get to the NBA level, there's those star players that carry a franchise. You have to have guys that understand who they are who understand a role, who understand what they're, what they're supposed to do when they're in games, uh, who don't break, don't break down, who don't make mistakes, uh, who are low maintenance, who are coachable. you got to have those in any team, whether it be college or the pro level. And Dean Wade fits that. Um, and they love him there. And he's been successful um, when he's had opportunities and he's made the most of them. And when you're in the NBA, it's all about opportunity. And Dean Wade is, has found that. Um, and he's a guy that that uh, has really, you know, carved out a niche for himself. And I'm, I'm proud of him for that, um, because when you watched him at K-State, you knew he had a chance. There's no question about that. There's other guys that probably came out of the Big 12 that put up numbers that you thought they I don't think that's going to make it in trans. It, it, the transition from college to the NBA is so different. Um, the way game the game is played is entirely different at the NBA level. But Dean Wade, there, there was a, a chance that he had a place there um, if all things went according to plan, and they have. Um, and I think he's got a, a real bright future on a team that's uh, a real success story and a team that's, you know, the trajectory is really high for, for what they're doing. A couple fun ones here, Jarrett. And again, we really appreciate you taking the time with us and your perspective has been excellent. Uh, we mentioned you were at Missouri 2008, 2012, and obviously KU is often talked about as the big rival with Missouri, and you actually co-host a podcast on the KCSN platform called The Border War with former KU player Jeff Hawkins, so K-State fans, be sure to check that out as well if you're interested. Um, but I want to ask you about the K-State rivalry back then, because it, it felt like that was kind of a budding rivalry from 2008-12. You guys were tremendous, obviously, a part of two 30-win-plus teams at Missouri in, in two of your four years there. K-State had some terrific seasons as well. And Frank Martin going up against Mike Anderson and then Frank Haith when you were there. I, what was that rivalry like when you were at Mizzou? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, some battles. Um, you know, I, I think back to Denny Clemente and Jacob Pullen and, um, 
you know, not even just those two guys, because I know those guys were like, they carried the team, but the Dominique Sutton's of the world, um, that Jamar Samuels was a, a guy that uh, Kim English, uh, who was a teammate of mine, they knew each other really well in high school. So um, the thing about those K-State teams is, uh, and, and just Frank Martin and the imprint that he had on, on that program when he was at Kansas State, uh, it was a battle with them. And what I would say about our time in the Big 12 was, you know, from Iowa State to Kansas uh, to Texas at that time, um, there was some some heated heated rivalries that uh, kind of came from that. And we struggled, you know, we struggled K State. Just to be completely honest, they were um, they had our number quite a bit. Um, you know, I when I look back on our senior year, you know, we went thirty and five um, and struggled with K State both games. Um, you know that that uh, that we played against Kansas State. We they. They did a great job of I felt like we knew each other so well that those games were just down to the wire games. Uh, Jacob Pullen is easily one of my favorite players uh, to compete against. When I look back on my time in the Big 12 uh, and those K-State teams, he was such a such a weapon from the perimeter. And it reminded me a lot of Marcus Denman um, from our team that uh, just had a, a tenacity about him that, you know, wanted the ball late in games, had a fearlessness to him, um, but just playing in, in Manhattan too, the fan base, uh, the student section, like some fan bases and student sections can get pretty dirty uh, pretty quickly. Um, I always appreciated K-State fans uh, because in warmups, they were just hilarious. Like a lot of the content that they would bring us, it was like, man, where are you getting that? You know, how did they, someone's done their homework. Uh, I always thought it was great. And, and we always talked about that. Like we loved playing at K-State and um, I mean, you know, Bramlage would be, loud for us um you know i i like to think like the by the time first of all like the danny clemente and the jacob pullen years yeah like we were competing with k-state um in terms of not just the big 12 but the ncaa tournament like we were we were two teams that you know were competitive in college basketball but it just felt like when when we were you know when i got to mizzou in 08 09 like we were really not a team that nobody that anybody really looked at seriously um, and then we went to the Elite Eight that year, and we went to the NCAA tournament every year after that, and we had the most wins in school history in that four-year run. And really, Frank Martin, with that those K-State teams, that's what he was building right when we started as well. So it was almost like both programs kind of hit at the same time, and that's what made it so fun is we, we, we didn't take K-State lightly at all. We knew how good they were. We knew how talented they were. And I think the, re the reflection of each other in terms of, we played with a chip on our shoulder and K-State played with a chip on their shoulder. They, we all played like we weren't good enough is how I would say it. Um, and it was just, it was wars. Um, we had some great games in Columbia too, like down to the wire finishes that uh, are just great memories. And those, those teams were, were loaded. Frank Martin was a terrific coach. Um, and I loved going to Manhattan. It was always a, a fun game to, to have on the schedule uh, and we knew we were going to be in for a, a long night, especially in, in Bramlage um, and just that building. It gets it gets on top of you. I mean, a lot of venues in college basketball. We can talk about Allen Fieldhouse. You know, we can talk about Ames uh, and what it's like to play in Hilton. And it's, it was so loud in Hilton when we went there, too. But I always tell people K-State was just like right there at the top uh, for us in terms of tough places to play, loud uh, we had to do hand signals most of the games just because we couldn't communicate. It was so loud in there. Um, and that's how I view Bramlage. That's that's how I think of K-State basketball as being rocking every night, 
you know, a Wednesday league game and it's packed, you know, to, to the brim. Um, and they're bringing that energy and that fire and that, that just rubs off on everybody. And it rubbed off on those players. I know that. And it, that's what, what made K-State such a, such a tough, tough game every year. I think Jerome Tang is uh, hoping to bring that energy back to Bramlage. It's been a couple years since we've seen that type of atmosphere, but certainly would love to see it get back to that. Um, you know, look, Jared, I covered K-State on the beat the years you were at Mizzou. So I was at all those games you mentioned, the eight times you guys played, and I went to Mizzou Arena. I mean, Mizzou Arena was rocking too. I mean, those were some intense, loud games, both in Manhattan and in Missouri. I remember you mentioned 2012. I mean, that was the year, I I know, Kit, not to rub salt in the wound, K-State swept you guys, and you guys were a top-10 team. And K-State had went and won at Baylor in Waco, and Baylor was top-10. And then they went big Monday. I think it was big Monday in Mizzou and uh, knocked you guys off. And, and that was surprising to me because that maybe wasn't the most talented K-State team. It didn't have Jacob Pullen any longer, but, uh, you know, they had Rodney Magruder, I believe, and, and Jamar Samuels and others. So, look, uh, you mentioned K-State fans doing their homework. John Kurtz wanted us to ask you this question, our other uh, partner in crime co-host on the show. Uh, he, was, uh, he says that he called Michael Dixon, got his phone number off the Go E-Mall K-State message board. Uh, he was one of those types that, called kids like we didn't do that like we weren't those good of fans. okay good. but good but but john good did fans. We, <laughs> see john wanted us to ask you uh if if that like if any of the players like if that had any impact uh if you recall like him or other fans calling your teammates before a game and uh, making those anonymous phone calls so i'd be remiss if i didn't bring that up <laughs> it happened yeah it did uh it, it happened ironically in manhattan and in lawrence you know who knew that uh it would happen in those you know specific schools but uh i, I mean honestly though it was it was all in, in good fun i you know i i appreciated that it's what made it you know the these the big 12 then too and i know you guys you know felt this in 2011 2012 but when we were leaving the conference i thought it was as hostile as i've ever remembered the big 12 um in terms of you know us leaving texas a&m leaving um i hated it because i'm a kansas city guy and i i loved those rivalries i grew up with those rivalries you know i had family members go to k-state obviously me and, and my brothers went to mizzou my entire high school went to kansas right so i just when you're from kansas city you're intertwined with all the schools and it's what made, made it fun. Um, you know, obviously conference realignment was inevitable, but when I, I look back on that year, 11, 12, it was every single night felt like everybody was out for blood almost. I mean, it was just that competitive. Um, it was so much more, and, and look, it was competitive. My first three years, obviously the big 12 was a staple basketball league at that time, but in 11 and 12, there were so many good teams like Iowa state was a bear. Kansas state was sneaky, tough, overlooked, but we knew how good they were and they swept us. Um, the league was so good and it's still so good from a basketball standpoint. I mean, I cover the big 12. I know how good it is, but that, that year, 2011, 2012 was one of the most fun years I've ever had in the sport, obviously. And for it to be my last year playing, um, you know, obviously it didn't end the way we wanted it to in the NCAA tournament, but, there's every game it felt like we even go into Norman or, you know, going to Stillwater. I mean, it was just like, man, there was no off night in big 12 play. It's just, you got to bring it. And we got snake bit by Oklahoma state. It was probably one of the you know worst teams in the big 12 at that time in 11, 12, probably one of the bottom teams in the league. 
and we got beat and they were great and they were ready for us and their fans were ready for us. And we were at that point, we ranked second in the country and we're, you know, coming off a big Saturday win and it was a big Monday game and we got beat. And that's, that's life in the big 12. And that's how it still is today. And, you know, Baylor's now just grown to the top and they were really good when I was there. And, um, that, that, those years though, I, I wouldn't trade them for anything. And we talk about it all the time. Some of our former guys of just how lucky we were to play in the big 12 during that time. And so many good players. Um, you know, I, I see the K-State TBT team and I see some of those guys still competing and it's great, man. Like they were just so competitive and they're still so competitive and it's what made, you know, basketball so much fun at that time and what made playing the sport in the big 12 at that time so much fun. Well, as a lifelong K-State fan, I, I certainly miss those days as well. I'm a traditionalist. I hate that we've lost sight of the geographies and the rivalries. The Big 12 was the perfect conference. Um, yep. You know, everything was driving, low, you know, drivable. There were rivalries. And uh, I miss Mizzou in the Big 12 tournament, Jared. I mean, look, I it's one of the best sporting events there is. I look forward to it every year. And uh, yep. I miss seeing Missouri fans around Sprint Center every year for that. So, Hey man, we we appreciate this so much. I know I had you on longer than I told you, but no, we were seeing, it was such a great conversation with you, your perspective. We really appreciate it. So, Jared, thanks so much for for jumping on with us. And hey, we'd love to have you on again in the future as college basketball gets here, uh, and we'll see you around and, and love to talk to you some more. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Good luck with everything, and good luck to the cats and, and football and in basketball. All right. Thanks, Jarrett. We appreciate it. We're going to toss to break and then we're going to come back and just talk a few more minutes before we put a bow on this show. Thanks again to Jarrett Sutton for joining us and we'll go to break now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back on a three mall podcast. I'm Derek Young, joined by Cole Manbeck. You just listened to our conversation with Jared Sutton as he kind of digged into what to expect from Jerome Tang and the Wildcats this season, as well as the latest edition of Keontae Johnson. We'll discuss the 13th actually roster edition that came very soon after Kansas State added Keontae Johnson. But before that, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Kansas DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to the Sunflower State. It won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. To celebrate, all new customers will receive $100 in free bets when you sign up using code KCSN. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you $100 in free bets just for signing up today. No deposit required. Soon, you'll be able to bet on money lines, spreads, props, and more with one of America's top-rated sportsbooks apps, DraftKings Sportsbook. 
Plus, you'll be entered to win a $100,000 free bet when you sign up. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code KCSN to get $100 in free bets to use once mobile sports betting hits Kansas. Plus, one customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's code KCSN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and over, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com slash sportsbook. Subject to regulatory licensing requirements. One per customer, $100 issued as four $25 free bets. No purchase necessary for sweet sakes. Void where prohibited. And first day DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas. See terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas. All right, Cole. That was a lot of words there. Um, <laughs> let's let's discuss Anthony Thomas. That was the 13th roster edition for Kansas State. Came a day after Keontae Johnson committed. And just just what do we think we're expecting with with him as as the last you know the final piece for Drum Tank in Kansas State? Yeah, I mean, look, this is a guy that uh, I think we we had heard rumblings over the last couple of weeks that there may have been another option um, for a scholarship to, to be the 12th or 13th guy in the class. And they landed Thomas out of Tallahassee Community College. And um, he was visiting uh, at the same time the Keontae Johnson news broke that Keontae had committed to Kansas State last Saturday. And look, this is a guy that at UT Martin, he's played D1 basketball as a freshman. He went to UT Martin. Average nine points per game. Now his efficiency wasn't great, 38% from the floor, et cetera. But he's a six foot seven guard. And I think some people, when I I tweeted out Kansas State lands a six foot seven JUCO guard, they're like a guard. They're not used to seeing, you know, a six seven guard. But if you look at his videos, he's got a pretty good handle and ability to finish on the inside. Uh, look, if he's your 13th guy that you add to the roster, I think you got a pretty good roster. And I think this is a good addition uh, that Kansas State's made. He went. He transferred from UT Martin to Tallahassee Community College after his freshman year. We don't know the reason for that, but he averaged 11 a game his first year at JUCO. Now he's going to be on the team. And look, he just adds more length to an already deep uh, bench in terms of what Kansas State has. And now they've got nine guys that are six foot five or taller. So I don't know if you have anything to expand upon DY from what you've seen from his highlights, but I mean, I like the addition, um, just more length added and versatility. Yeah, I think that's what he provides. I would be remiss if I didn't like point out that it was clear that they had a chip on their shoulder about how they were going to assemble this roster. I think they, you know, they were the coaches specifically. They heard all the the whispers and the chatter, whether it be on social media or people like us saying, you know, back in May or June when I think they were sitting at eight or nine players, and it seemed a little dire at the time, even though it wasn't that they were going to have a you know struggle to form a roster of 13 scholarship players. Even Jerome Tang, I think, backed off it a little bit, you know, when he was on the Catbacker tour and said, you know, we have 10, 11, 12, you know, we'll still be a good team. And, and he had no worry or concerns at all, and, and he shouldn't, because they they just assembled a 13-man roster that's going to compete for an NCAA tournament bid. Probably is an NCAA tournament team if I were to even look at it objectively. So I, just by their social media remarks, it was clear that they – kind of formed a chip on their shoulder, so to speak, uh, about some of that chatter that was existent even if, just a couple months ago. So um, I think they're very proud of what they accomplished and they should be. It's an incredible feat. They, they had to fill 10 scholarships after Taj Manning, you know, recommitted, reaffirmed his commitment to K-State. They had 10 scholarships to fill and, and they did it. I mean, I don't think any of us thought they'd get to 13 
when we were sitting in, in June or July and here they sit filling a full roster. It was the Twitter activity from the coaching staff, as you mentioned, uh, when they landed Anthony Thomas and Keontae that weekend was, was pretty humorous. Uh, you could tell they definitely had a chip on their shoulder DY. So glad you pointed that out. It's going to be exciting to see what they do. It's got so much player versatility, positionless basketball, et cetera. Jarrett hit on that some when, when we had him on just moments ago. So really looking forward to it. Um, I, I had a few numbers, D.Y., if you're fine with it, I wanted to throw out because uh, – and then we'll put a bow on this show. But I, as I thought about it, when you watch Keontae Johnson's highlights, he's just he looks like a tremendous finisher. Everything in his videos, you just see him finishing around the basket frequently. Now he was 38% from three in his career, but he was 52% from the floor throughout his entire career at Florida. And it got me to thinking because I remembered reading that Desi Sills, one of the other transfers coming in while he was at Arkansas, took 52% of his shots at the rim and he made 54% of his shots at the rim. So I started to dig in a little bit and I got to give credit to Chris Hansen actually on uh, Twitter, uh, Chris underscore Hansen, who is one of the smarter people I know. I knew him from back in college a little bit and we were DMing and he's very smart when it comes to advanced analytics and metrics. In fact, he was trying to push advanced analytics onto me back when I covered the team in 2008, 2009, he was kind of at the forefront of this Ken Palm and everything and pushing these numbers in our discussions. And so credit to him for that. He shared some synergy stats with me, some advanced analytics earlier this week that kind of reaffirmed what my position was and my thinking on Jerome Tang, because it seems like they're going after a lot of guys that can really attack the rim aggressively and finish well on the interior. And so I wanted to bring that to the forefront and just give you guys a few numbers, you know, shocking. I'm a numbers guy. I hope I don't make your head spin with this, but I did want to pull you back to last year really quick and what K-State did at the at the rim. They took 40% of their shots at the rim last season, which ranked kind of middle of the pack in the country in terms of the percent, percentile of shots taken at the rim, but they really struggled. I mean, how many games you watched K-State last year and it felt like they were missing buckets and transition or easy opportunities at the basket? A lot of that was the bigs too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, they struggled to finish on the inside. Casey Eziegu was really the only big that was a good finisher by the advanced metrics. He actually was K-State's most efficient scorer on the entire team. Yeah, and and Mark Smith was pretty good at it, but it seemed like he even kind of dipped as the year went along. He did, yeah. Yeah, he ended up making like 51% of his shots. He was the leader out of the guards in terms Mm -hmm. of attacking on the inside. But yeah, he missed opportunities as well. And so I'm glad you brought that up, but K-State averaged 1.12 points per possession at the rim last year. That ranked in the bottom 12% of the country. So 88% of the teams in college basketball were better than K-State when it came to finishing at the rim. They were more efficient. K-State shot 53.6% at the rim, which doesn't sound like an awful number, but that's not very good. K-State ranked ninth in the Big 12 out of 10 teams and points per possession at the rim, field goal percentage at the rim. It was just an area that the Wildcats really struggled in. And, um, you know, you look at some of the guys that K-State's brought in. I mentioned Keontae Johnson and what his video showed. Well, look, Keontae's sophomore year at Florida, he took 58% of his shots at the rim. 195 of his 335 shot attempts came at the rim. He ranked in the top 23% in the country in terms of overall shots at the rim. Here's where it's really impressive. He made 67% of his shots at the basket, 113 out of 170 Average 1.4 points per possession at the rim. He ranked in the top 11% in the country. I already mentioned Desi Sills. Took 52% of his shots at the rim, made 
Tyke Green, a transfer from Stony Brook, took 59% of his shots at the rim uh, and made 58% of them. He averaged 1.21 points per possession on shots at the rim. That's kind of middle of the back. Um, Bebe, the uh, the big that they brought in from Hofstra, a very efficient player. Obviously not surprising that a big would have a lot of shots at the rim. Bebe took 86% of his shots at the rim um, at Hofstra last year, ranking in the top 3% in overall shots at the rim. 1.38 points per possession, ranked in the top 17% of the country, made 67% of his shots at the rim. So basically what I'm getting at here is this is a, it looks like Jerome Tang and his staff have looked for a bunch of guys that can get to the basket and they can finish. I mean, certainly they want to be able to shoot from the perimeter as well, but just looking at a lot of the advanced analytics, uh, it appears that he has assembled a roster that's going to be able to finish on the inside and that that maybe was one of his goals. If you're going to do that, it means you're probably going to run a little bit more, which is kind of what Jared alluded to thinking that this team will run a bit. Um, so I think that is uh, probably an indicator indicator of that. And when he mentioned Keontae Johnson being a smaller four, and then we mentioned Keontae Johnson being a pretty good rebounder and a pretty good finisher at the rim. I'm not saying it's an identical comparison, but he probably fills the void that was held by Mark Smith last season, which we just touched on. Because we've been talking, you know, three through 13, this team is better than last year. It's about replacing number one, Nigel Pack, number two, Mark Smith. How do you get that top tier guy? I think Keontae, you know, probably can do a little bit more on the offensive end of Mark Smith, but I think he fills that number two Mark Smith role, at least stylistically, um, pretty well. I think that those are the types of contributions that we can expect. But I also don't want to lose sight of what Mark Smith did last year. I mean, he was probably an underrated player. I think a lot of people liked him, but just as I don't know that we gave him enough credit like we did with Nigel Pack just what he did last season. I mean, that dude had how many games with double-digit rebounds? He was different. And now that's going to be tougher to do on this team because they got a ton of guys that can really rebound the basketball, and that wasn't the case last year. Yeah, I think that's an excellent comp. I mean, when I when I saw Keontae commit, I thought, you know, maybe a better version of Mark Smith. I think he's a better version if he can get back close to what he was at Florida. I think he's definitely an upgrade over Mark Smith, and that's not a knock on Mark Smith. To your point, Mark Smith was vital to this team. What, did he lead the Big 12 in rebounding last year? I, he came close to it. And yeah. He was leading it for most of the year. He was the heartbeat of the team, no question about it. They wouldn't even been on the bubble, per se, in like that third quarter of the season if it wasn't for him. I, I think if you, if, you took, if you told us today that he would emulate Mark Smith's numbers, Keontae, I think you would take that because, yeah, because you have a deeper team now. You have better depth. You have more scorers that you don't, you know, those types of numbers are going to carry more if you get them. And so look, if you can get 11 and eight or whatever it was that Mark Smith put up last year, if you can get that from Keontae, I think you're thrilled. And look, Mark Smith. You just, I I want to see them see if they got any couple shot makers. Cause that's the, my only a little bit of a reservation still that could be proved differently. Obviously who was it? Was it Tyke green or Desi Sills that all of a sudden exploded from, from the perimeter last season. So, It might not be the question that I am raising, and I'm not even that concerned, but at some point you need a guy to make a bucket. Yeah, look, Tyke Green did. He exploded last year at Stony Brook. He, he wasn't a great shooter throughout his career and then had a, a phenomenal year last year, really down the stretch shooting from the perimeter. I think, to your point, that is a little bit of a concern. Look, Marquise Noel struggled from three last year. He had his worst season of his career. The shots think, are going to be more open now. Well, that's, that's the thing, D.Y. So they're going to take better shots because they're going to have – 
they just have more playmakers. And so they're going to get better looks and they have more size. I mean, look last year, like, like Nigel Pack was a great shooter, but they didn't have a lot of size on the perimeter. And so they didn't get as many good looks. And, you know, we talk about how many times you hear when you watch basketball, the best kick out three is off an offensive rebound. The best look on a three, it just feels like so many three pointers are made coming off an offensive rebound. And we think K-State's going to be a heck of an offensive rebounding team. So there's going to be a lot of kick out opportunities and wide open looks. Obviously you hope Ishmael Masood takes another step this year and becomes a, you know, 38 to 40% shooter from three can become a little more efficient from the perimeter and get some better looks as well. I think that's going to be a key part of it. I think they probably have enough guys that can shoot. Um, but that was kind of the question mark. And look, Keontae is 38% from three in his career. So he just brings shooting. Just not yeah, no, no. I think he's made like 67 threes in his career. So yeah, he's not going to shoot it a ton from the outside, but he can knock it down. So yeah, I'm glad we brought that up. D.Y., do you have anything to add before we wrap it up? Wrap it up. I mean, I, I look, talking basketball today, but do want to mention to you guys, we've dropped a football preview show on the offensive side of the ball. That's available on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts. And we dropped a defensive preview earlier this week. Go give it a listen, like, subscribe to the podcast. That helps us. We got more exciting K-State football content coming your way. We got more basketball content, but we're going to start dropping a couple shows a week you know, talking K-State football, we're going to have a, a preview of the South Dakota game, the season opener that's going to drop next week as well. So be sure to like, subscribe, be on the lookout for those as they drop. And you can follow us on Twitter as well, and we'll promote those and push those out for you. So as always, we, we thank you for listening. We thank our sponsor, Holiday Distillery, 360 Vodka, and DraftKings for their support. And we appreciate your guys' support listening to the Three Mall Pod. So That'll do it. I want to thank Derek for jumping on. I want to thank Jarrett Sutton for lending his time to us. It was great perspective. Uh, for Cole Manbeck and Derek Young, thanks for listening to another Three Mall Pod. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.